0: Welcome to the great council where we use passionate discussion and intelligent debate to discuss the things you aren't allowed to talk about at the dinner table. Today is the third part of our veterans day series. We're talking to Tom and I'll leave it at that.
1: Okay. Well, uh, my name is Tom Ullman. Uh, I was, uh, in the Navy from 1989 until 1998. Uh, I was a uh, E-5 when I got out. Um, before that, I was in the Air Force National Guard from 86 to 89. And I was an E-4 when I uh, switched over to the Navy.
0: Okay. And what what did you do in the in the Navy.
1: I was a submarine sonar technician. And so the last ship I was on was the USS Dallas, which was in new London, Connecticut or Groton, Connecticut.
0: The Dallas was in Connecticut. Some amazing about that. I'm not sure what though. Um, Okay, so give me an example of, like, what you did
1: on a daily basis. Well, um, when we were in port, I was, um, was basically doing maintenance um, and getting um, – we kind of operated a very complex and archaic uh, sonar system, which was basically a multi- million dollar stereo system um an analog stereo system it was kind of an analog digital stereo system um out to sea we had uh basically my job was to identify and track ships whether they be surface ships or submerged ships and um present an overall tactical uh information to the uh fire control system and uh that's how basically that's how we drove the ship is we didn't obviously have windows so um and you couldn't see out of the periscope when you were underwater so and we were we were generally deeper than 600 feet all the time and we were. was a nuclear powered ship so we only had to come up to the surface uh very rarely like maybe once a day we have to like catch the like the communications um but we tried to stay as deep as we could uh because you know you don't want people dropping bombs on you so easy as possible. So
0: So you were the guy that they see in the movies with the big headphones on listening to the the beeps and the bloops and the all that stuff.
1: Yes. So if you were watching that movie Hunt for Red October, I would be Jonesy, the sonarman.
0: Well, that's kind of cool. All right. So what would you say? Yeah, it was a,
1: hmm? It was a cool job. Sounds it. What would you my, say? my job basically was to uh, hunt Russian submarines. Or
0: anybody else. Right. That's I don't know what to say to that. That's awesome. What would you say is your best memory of being in the military?
1: Hmm. Is this is this uh uh my best, like, what?
0: What do you think when you think of being in the military? What is the thing you most remember?
1: Hmm. I I think my my favorite. It, you well, as you know, it's mostly long periods of boredom, and um, very brief flashes of uh, "Oh shit, we're gonna die!" Right. Um. The first time that um, that I actually heard, um, and you spend your whole entire, um, or I did, and most of the people that were in during the Cold War uh, used to be getting ready. So um, my my best. Memory as far as military duty was concerned and not a wild drunken port visit would well, be the first time that I actually. That'll work too, but. <laughs> um, this is, I'm guessing this is probably for uh normal people consumption, but um, the first time that I tracked or heard and tracked um, a Russian submarine was a pretty big moment for me because everything up to that point was training and pretty boring. I mean, you have to do a lot of studying. Um, it's not like it is in the movies where, um, you're just kind of like tooling along and, uh, you know, somebody wanders across your path. I mean, that actually did kind of happen several times. Um, but a lot of it had to do with, um, you were basically you tracked we had you could tell um we we had I'm trying not to give away any can you any like national security secrets right um right but you could, um, it basically you could tell the, um, your design, uh, uh, detect them as far away as possible and then kind of worm your way in carefully and get behind them and track them. And while you were doing that, analyze the kind of noises that they made uh, that way you could classify what kind of ship it was and um, uh, and you try to do that as uh, surreptitiously as possible so generally what you would get depending on the, the conditions of the water you would get uh, um, pick up their uh, like the harmonics from like let's say one of their pumps and you could get that, you know, from miles away because sound travels differently in the ocean. Than the air. You would um, pick up like 50 Hertz uh, and then you would like maneuver to get a range on it and then a classification and then you would kind of sneak it. Now, sometimes the first thing you would hear would be um, noise close from their um their steam the steam turbines and it kind of sounds like rain falling and but you never know if it's actual rain falling or you know steam noise from a russian submarine so and at the, the beginning of when i was doing it russian submarines were pretty loud and clunky um but in the 80s, there was a, uh, a spy. His name was uh, John Walker. And uh, for basically, you know, $10,000, he gave the Russians all our sound silencing techniques, which the Russians had no idea. They were completely clueless about how that worked. Um, and it kind of seems kind of simple, but... Um, it was kind of revolutionary for them. So the, the, uh, in the course of me doing it, they, um, the Russian subs got quieter and quieter. And so we had to get closer and closer, which, um, had not the cold war ended, it probably would have, you know, led to people bumping into each other. And it's kind of a miracle that it didn't hmm. honestly. Uh, Cause, uh, you know, the quieter you are, the closer you have to get to them to detect them. So in the, in the past, uh, you could detect them from like far away. And then, uh, it gradually got to the point where we were close to even. So like, and they didn't know that, um, like US subs are covered in, um, uh, rubber tiles and that was to keep the sounds in. They had no idea what those were for. Um, but as the eighties progressed, they got quieter and quieter and that's because they, Koshiba uh, um, sold them some uh, technology that they used to, to for, um, for machining and like lathing parts. Which kind of seems kind of uh, intuitive, but they really didn't have any idea how to do that. So, um, but yeah, the first time that I actually was in sonar and I heard before anybody else a Russian submarine and I'm, you know, basically I'm like, Hey, there's a Russian submarine and everybody's like, uh, no, it's not. And I'm like, yeah, it is. And, uh, they're like, Oh shit. Thanks. Yeah. So we started, you know, tracking it and trying to figure out what the range was. That was like the coolest thing that I did because I would spent years and years working towards that, uh, that day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, being on a submarine was, um, if you thought about it was really scary. Um, but nobody ever really tried to think about it. So because um, the ocean is trying to kill you all the time, basically. Right. That's what I've heard. Um, yeah, I mean, and I—I I, I forget what the exact formula is, but the deeper you go, the more pressure is, and um, we never had any flooding or anything. Once in a while, we very rarely we would have like a fire, um, but uh, that's you know really dangerous obviously but um flooding is like the thing that you worry the most about i think right. well, at least we did
0: okay so what would you say is your proudest moment in the military
1: um the proudest hmm, i i think for me, the proudest moment was um, when I qualified on submarines. Basically, what you do is you see like um, guys that qualify, you know, as paratroopers when they get to put their the wings on their uniforms. When you do that on, on a submarine, the first nine months to a year you're on a submarine. You don't get to wear the warfare badge. Um, and it's, and it's basically, they call it your dolphins. Um, and the first nine months you're on a submarine on your first submarine, you have, you spend all of your free time that you're not on watch, uh, learning about how the ship works. Um, and you have to learn how the reactor works. You have to learn how all the pumps work. You have to learn how the radios work. You have to learn how the torpedoes work and how the batteries. And you have to be able to, from memory, draw um, a diagram of how the uh, hydraulic system works, for for instance. And um, on the sub, there's probably um, if you look around, everywhere you look, there's valves and uh, handles for valves. And and they're all different colors and they're all different shapes. And each one of them does some sort of thing. So you have to know, um, in order to be qualified on submarines, you have to know how all those valves work and how they relate to each other. Um, because it's possible um, if there's a casualty, and everybody else is dead you have to a be able to get the ship to the surface or if you know everybody's fighting a fire or whatever you have to be able to get the ship to the surface um which is in a lot of cases is difficult um and you have to be able even um you know you have to be able to go back to the the engine room the ship is kind of divided into two sections the forward and the or the, the newer ships are. Um, they're divided it's the forward and the, in the engine room. Um, but I mean, it, it is quite possible that, you know, you could go back to the engine room and have to fight a fire and know how to, or there could be flooding and you have to know how to isolate the openings in the hall and operate their hydraulics. And it's, there's, there's probably, probably um a good i I would say at least 300 different valves um depending on what's which kind of ship you're on and you have to know how they all work so the last thing that you do um before you can be qualified is you have to go before a board and it's um like five of your shipmates the guys that you work with and they grill you for hours and you have to draw all these different systems. Um, you have to know, you have to be able to tell them how each different system works. And these guys that are examining you are all experts. They've been doing it for years and years and years. So, and you have to demonstrate um, a more than basic knowledge on how everything works on the ship. Um, and um, they take you, they take you um, part of the, that examination is they take you out in, into the ship, and they put a like a breathing mask on you that's got a hose, and can only be, and the only way you can breathe is to by, by finding these uh, air intakes, and you plug your the hose into that so you can breathe, and then you have. In order to move, you have to unplug and then be able to find the next one in the line, and that's how you can move. And what they do is they put a hood over your mask, so you can't see anything. So you have to go through the ship without being able to see and operate these valves, or at least point out where these valves or these you know electrical panels are, and all that kind of stuff. So it's a, it's a very very intensive examination, but once you pass that then you're qualified on submarines and then you're, uh, you're not, um, you're part of the crew basically. Cause before that you're not, I mean, you work and you do all the do all this other stuff and stand watches and stuff, but you're not actually part of the crew. You're not an accepted member of the crew. Um, so for me, it, it took, um, it took right around nine to ten months to get qualified. And then once I got qualified I was a member of the crew and that getting my um, getting my dolphins was probably my proudest moment of the navy, I would say.
0: That first ship, is that are those like is that like a training ship that's specifically designed for it, or is that just all the all the ships are have no. your trainees on them.
1: Yeah, all all the ships have trainees, and while you're doing, when you first get to your first ship, um, you have to um, help in the galley, making the meals, and um, it's it's kind of a, it's kind of like an initiation. I don't want to say it's it's hazing because. Um, it's kind of, uh, hazing's not very politically correct, (laughs) but it also kind of serves. it's kind of serves a purpose. Um, like one of the first things that I, one of the first really dumb things I did, uh, was, um, I, I'd only been on the ship like less than a week and I was carrying a, a 50 pound box of, frozen hamburgers and there were some guys um standing in my way and i said something stupid and they just looked at me like hey you just said something stupid but they didn't do anything but like after i got done with the meal i was i was going down to the lower level and a couple of guys grabbed me and they uh uh duct taped me to a to a pipe and uh they uh they didn't, you know, kick my ass or anything like that, but they wanted it to be known that until I was had my dolphins, I was, you know, lower than whale shit, basically.
0: So they duct taped it you to a, pipe. a very
1: good lesson. Yes. Wow. Okay. So it, it sounds terrible. It sounds really terrible. And at the time, I but I mean, I knew they weren't going to like kill me or anything like that because the Navy spends a lot of money trying to clothe and feed you and train you. And up to this point, I'd gone to school for two years. I'd gone to school in San Diego uh, for two years for digital electronics and uh, repair. And because not only do you operate the sonar system, you also have to be able to repair it. Mm-hmm. So...
0: Well I suppose so long as the pipe wasn't like for the heating or the cooling or something and or
1: super no, hot. They, or they were I mean they were, pre- they were pretty gentle, but um it serves a purpose. Um I don't you know I would not, you know, go to my regular job now and duct tape an apprentice to a steam pipe. I mean I want to all the time. <laughs> but um you have to be yeah it it's like the it's like it in any branch of the military basically your life depends on the weakest link basically so um you do not want to be the weak weak link in the chain and especially on a submarine even when you know if you're if you're in the air force and you're hanging around in the, the, uh, um, housing office or whatever like that, you're not really in any mortal danger, but when you're underwater, you know, a thousand feet down, even if it's peacetime, even if you're going to Fort Lauderdale, it's very dangerous. So you, you want to, uh, you know, you don't want to be that weak link and you want everybody to know how to do their job. And also, be able to do it under extreme situations and situations where uh, everybody's life depends on you doing your job.
0: Right. Okay. Okay. So now we got the good stories out of the way. What is your biggest regret about being in the military?
1: Um, My biggest regret was, I think um, I had when I was, uh, after I left the USS Dallas um I went to recruiting duty which was horrible. Horrible in what way? Uh, in every way actually. <laughs> I mean it was it was the um before I did that I enjoyed being in the navy after a, a couple of months of recruiting duty I absolutely hated it. Uh they treat you like crap and, uh, they treat you like a commission salesman, but they don't treat, they don't pay you like a commission salesman. Um, and the leadership of, of the, uh, and I will, if I run into any of those guys, I will absolutely fight those guys. I don't, I don't, not a crap is given. Um, I wish I would have done, I, I kind of, I mean, I could have retired when I was, you know, 39 had I not gone to recruiting duty, but recruiting duty kind of just ruined the whole thing for me. So, Well,
0: what about it? Why in particular was so bad about the recruiting?
1: They basically, your whole, up to that point, my whole career had been, um, you were part of a team. And everybody pulled together and to accomplish the mission. When you're on recruiting duty, you're basically by yourself and you have to fend for yourself and you're on it. You're actually competing against the, the people in your office and the people in the, um, the neighboring offices. And you're also competing against like the army and the Marine Corps and the Air Force. For these to to get these kids to join, and it is very it is incredibly stressful. I mean, it's actually way more stressful than living underwater. Um, and I would um, I would lose and gain like the same ten pounds every month, ten to fifteen pounds. It was so stressful, and uh, if you didn't get to two people in a month, you had to drive down from where I lived at the time to Columbus to get yelled at all day and then drive back. So it was basically five hours of my day wasted just to get yelled at. Um, and that I, I was moderately successful at it, but I would not like lie to kids to get them to join. Um, so I was not as successful as the, the, uh, guys who, uh, lied. Plus there were, were, um, I think the other branches of the military do this. I don't know for sure, but they have like career recruiters who are basically soulless ghouls that will do anything to get kids to join the Navy. And those are who you work for. When I was on a ship, um, The people I worked for were actually my friends, and I was, I could count on them to have my back because we were all in the same thing together. Um, But in recruiting, it was basically every man for himself, and your buddies were trying to screw you the whole time. It was terrible. I hated it. That
0: sounds horrible.
1: It was. I was just talking to um, a lady last night who retired from the Navy and. Um, she had done two years of recruiting duty. I did three years of recruiting duty. And I honestly spent more quality time with my family while I was on a ship as opposed to when I was on recruiting duty. And I, you know, when I was on a ship, sometimes I would be, you know, under the North Pole, thousands of miles away. When I was on recruiting duty, I lived like half a mile away. It it was really terrible and it was incredibly stressful. And, uh, that basically ruined the whole thing for me. Plus, it, you know, it does, as you know, you have, you're evaluated. Um, I was a sonar technician. So, in order to get advance in rank, I was evaluated against all the other sonar technicians in the Navy. But if you're not, uh, for those three years, you're a recruiting duty. You? You're not doing your your sonar job, and our our study material was classified. It was classified secret. So in order to, I there was no way you know you could study secret material in a recruiting station in Maslin, Ohio. <laughs> uh, I kept getting farther and farther behind, and, and it got to the point where, uh, you know, I I lived uh close to home and um I had a house and my uh wife at the time and I had twins and uh, plus a 5 year old and I was like well I'm not ever going to advance and um we have a house um I'm just going to get out so I got out after recruiting duty
0: All right so last question Ah, you got out in 1998, right? Yeah. Okay. So, from the things you've heard or seen, and I I don't know if you've had much contact with people uh, in the military since then, what are the things you think are the biggest differences between the military today and the military when you were in? And what do you feel about that? And this is not, like, this is just in general. It's nothing specific.
1: Um well the first big difference is now that now they're um letting uh women serve on submarines um before and up till the last I think 5 years women were not allowed to, to um be on submarines um so that has changed that quite a bit and to be honest there's a there's a World War II submarine up in Cleveland, um, where I live, uh, the USS Cod. It's a really awesome museum. If you're up, ever up in Cleveland, you should visit it. But um, talking to the, the guys that were served in World War II and Korea and Vietnam and the periods in between really hasn't changed a whole lot. I mean, you're still battling, you, uh, you know, you wake up and you're battling the ocean. And then occasionally you get to, you know, uh, worry about something else for part of your day, like what the Russians are doing or whatever. But um, the biggest change, I think, as far as submarines is concerned, is the fact that they're let, now letting women serve on submarines. So um, I have three daughters. So I'm not sure how I feel about that. Um I think it's probably overdue. Um, I haven't really heard anything horrible about it. Um, and I don't, don't really know anybody that much that's actually serving on submarines right now. Most of the guys I talk to, like at the reunions or on Facebook, are all old guys like me. So and it's kind of a mishmash. Whenever you get 50 old guys in a room, you know, you're going to get quite a varying opinion. Um, I don't know. I don't know why anybody would want to do it, let alone women, but you know, right. It seems like, it seems like a dumb way to spend your time living underwater. Um, I mean, it would be cool if, you know, like that, that TV, what was that TV show? Um, uh, crap. With oh, the summary
0: uh yeah uh the one with the dolphin and, and the right. kid yeah i know what you're talking about
1: I mean they had big windows and you could see life out and, you know stuff like that there was nothing like that it was uh you bare you know you were just barreling along hoping hoping not to run into an underwater mountain um it seems like a kind of a dumb way to spend your time honestly Um, yeah, I would be interested in talking to some guys that are serving now and serving with women on board submarines. It it, it was, it was kind of nice because, um, and I was telling somebody about this the other day, you didn't get any news at all. So you, um, like once a week you would get, they would print out sheets with the news and hang them up. But it was very watered-down news. You didn't get any bad news whatsoever. So, like, um, the whole world could be burning down, and you would not know about it until you pulled in somewhere, Mm -hmm. quite honest. Like, I came back from C one time, and this was in the, uh, the early 90s. And I watched CNN, like, the first night I was home, and there was, um, some news about OJ and I'm like, what happened to OJ? Like, Cause I had no idea. Cause I'd been out to sea the whole time. Like I missed like the whole Bronco chase and all, all that stuff. It was really weird, but it was kind of, it was kind of, it's kind of nice for your mental health, not to be bombarded by the 24 hour news cycle. Yeah. I would be interested in talking to some guys that we're serving now with women on submarines and see what they have to say about it. Cause it was one of the few places. Um, in the military that did not, had not been fully integrated at that time. So.
0: Okay. Um, just one more thing that I thought of while you were talking just now, how does move the, how do the movies, um, like we said, like, uh, right, October, or the one, uh, I forget what it's the one where they go and chase and find the the encryption tool from the Germans in World War Two, or U five seventy one, yeah, U five seventy one, or and I think there's a new one out, uh, a new sub movie out, uh, um, Hunter Killer or something like that. How do those movies? How accurate are they, at least as far as uh, the radar tech goes?
1: Well, I think that that, um, from what I've heard, this new one, Hunter Killer, does a really good job. Uh, I'm going to see it this week. Um, As far as the most famous one, the Hunt for Red October, um, did a pretty good job um, without... Revealing like classified information, uh, um, and it—they uh, only—they would not be able to sell tickets for a movie that shows, you know, endless hours of listening to shrimp or whale farts. So they—they they did a pretty good job of capturing the exciting parts, but um, and kind of like the the whole um, the the whole rising tension of um you're just kind of tooling and along and all of a sudden um uh, a Russian submarine passes right in front of you. That part is absolutely they do a good job at portraying that. As far as like the drama between the people, they did a terribly good terrible job doing it that. Because it's not very sexy or exciting. Like there was never um there was um, there was never any question of who was in charge and you know, what your mission was or anything like that. Um, but I actually, um, one of the reasons why I picked what I did was because I had read the book, the hunt for red October. Um, so that kind of had a big influence on me and I, I would, I would say that's, that's the, the best, um, as far as accuracy concerned, it was the best up until maybe this new one that's come out. And I'm, uh, I'll let you know h- how I feel about this new one coming out. The okay. Hunter movie. But um, um, have you ever seen that movie, A Periscope with Kelsey Grammer? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's my favorite submarine movie. I love that movie because that's, you know, there were a lot of goofy times, you know. Um, and that kind of accurately kind of portrays some of the guys that I served with. There were a lot of guys from, you know, Arkansas who their their first pair of shoes that they got was when they went to boot camp. That kind of thing. Right. So, <laughs> um, but U five seventy one was a good movie. Um, I liked the hunt for October. I, I really enjoyed that movie. I haven't seen it for a long time, but, um, I actually got a chance to hang out with, um, Tom Clancy, um, who was actually, was like a, actually a pretty cool guy. And he talked to a lot of people and he went to a lot of trouble to make it as accurate as he could without revealing secrets. So, um, I would say that that was a pretty relatively representative of what it's actually like.
0: Okay. Well, that that's all I got, Tom. Thank you very much for, for, uh, for doing this.
1: Yeah. And um, if I don't talk to you, you were, you were in the air force, right? Yeah. Um, where were you stationed at?
0: I was stationed in Alabama. Uh, Gunter annex of, of, uh, of, uh, crap. The other air force bases, right there.
1: Well, thank you for serving. And if I don't talk to you, have a have a peaceful Veterans Day. I will probably be uh, either uh, probably be drinking beer with some some of the old submarine veterans up here, mm-hmm. or or sleeping. I don't know which.
0: <laughs> Hopefully, you'd have a good time doing either of those things. I will. All right. I, I got to go, but thanks very much, Tom.
1: All right. I'll talk to you soon.
0: All right. Bye. Bye-bye. So that was, for now, the last of the Veterans Day episodes. I would like to do some more of these at some point in the future. If you are a veteran and have some good stories, or even if you just want to talk, send me an email, a voicemail, or find me on Twitter at council underscore gray. Council adjourned. If you are interested in becoming a council member or want to leave a message, call the Stonefruit Media voicemail line at 234-262-0549. Email us at graycouncil at stonefruitmedia.net or find us online at wearethegrays.com. The Grey Council is produced by Stone Fruit Media. The scene music, Finding the Balance, is by Kevin MacLeod at Incompetech.com and licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 License.